All right, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to look at verses 129 through 136. Um, again, uh, just go along with me. I'm dealing with allergies right now, and so I got little nasal stuff going on, a few coughs here and there. But I know when anybody coughs these days, they take off running for the hills, so <laughs> I'm warning you ahead of time. I warned Mario so that just in case, hey, Joe sounded like he was sick. So anyway, I just want you to be aware of that and be comfortable with it. But the title of tonight's message is The Wonders, The Wonder of God's Word. The Wonder of God's Word. And in verses 129 through 144, we see how the Word of God affected the psalmist here. He admired the Word of God. And, and the Word of God is wonderful all by itself. And he says in verse 29, as he opens this stanza, he says to God, Lord, he says, your testimonies are wonderful. The Bible by itself is wonderful. The Bible is amazing. The Bible is a miracle. It was written, you know, little by little over the course of 15 centuries in different kinds of society, different cultures, in different languages, by people of different personalities, talents, educated and the uneducated, men of prominence, peasants, bond and free. It covers history. It covers prophecy, poetry, parables, science, symbolism, wisdom, without ever contradicting each other in even the simplest matters of fact and opinion. The Word of God teaches us great things about God and Christ and the world to come. It gives us wonderful evidences of God's love and His grace. Everything about God and His Word are wonderful. It influences men's sense of right and wrong. It convicts, it comforts men. And they're both wonderful. And, you know, if we're not in awe of God's Word, it could be a sign that we're not acquainted with it. We're not acquainted with God's testimonies or we don't understand them. The psalmist hung on to God's word. He clung to it. Because you see, it was useful to him. He said in verse 1, Therefore my soul keeps or obeys them, them being the word of God. He clung to it like a priceless possession. Something he didn't want to let go of. Something he couldn't do without. And again, notice the obedience comes from the soul. Because the soul is where the words of God have to be placed. That's where they need to be. And those who, those who see God's word to be wonderful, they'll value the word of God highly. They will carefully protect it because it promises them great things. So let's begin with verse 129 of Psalm 119. And the psalmist says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus, the eternal word, is called wonderful. And all the uttered words of God are wonderful in their degree. And those who know them best wonder at them most. The word wonderful here means extraordinary. It means hard to be understood. Psalm 78, 4, the psalmist said, His strength and works are wonderful. In Psalm 139, 6, it says, His knowledge is wonderful. 
Isaiah 28, 29, his counsel and guidance is wonderful. Judges 13 and 18, it says, And the angel of the Lord said to him, that is Manoah, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Isaiah 9, 6, And his name shall be called Wonderful over and over and over again. One of the things that we have lost today is the wonder and the awe of things in life. Nothing seems to be wonderful anymore. Nothing seems to have that, have that wow factor. Nothing wows us anymore. Everything these days seems to be ordinary, boring, and not very interesting. There seems to be no surprises. And that's because we live in, a, in such a high-tech age and society where education and science has become the God of today. You see, there's an explanation today for everything. There's no wonder in it anymore. There's no awe. Man seems to have a logical explanation for everything. And if it can't be explained by science, then it can't be true. And we're hearing so much today about science. Science says, science says. One professor said, science is man's attempt at hiding his ignorance. Now, I'm not putting it down because there's been a lot of great discoveries. But science does not have all of the answers. And they'll even say, well, we don't know. Well, then, you know, it, it, can't, it can't tell you everything. Because it doesn't know everything. And the real reason for this loss or lack of the wonder is the loss of the awareness of God. Because, you see, it's God who is truly wonderful, and he's the source of all wonder. And with God being removed from our daily lives, like our schools and our government and our justice system and so on, he's been replaced with science. He's been replaced by humanistic values and ideas and explanations. And if God goes, then all that's really wonderful goes with him. Warren Wiersbe said, we are not philosophers living on man's explanations. We are pilgrims living on God's promises, and his promises never fail. And his promises are in his word. His promises is the word. We're not living on man's explanations, but the word of God. And the psalmist here in our passage tonight, he hasn't lost his sense of wonder for God. Because, you see, he found the Word of God to be wonderful. And he started out real early in this psalm, back in verse 18, asking God to open his eyes so he could see wondrous things from his law, from his Word. And that's the way we should start our, start our reading in the Scriptures. Before we open the book, pray, Lord, show me wondrous things from your Word. Because he will. You know, he's, he's made that promise to us. So, again, he's asking God, God to open his eyes so he can see wondrous things from, again, God's word. And because God's word is wonderful, he says here, notice, therefore my soul keeps them. The word them is speaking about his words. He says, no wonder I obey them because they're, they're, they're a wonder to me. So verse 129 represents the theme of verses 129 through 144, and that's the wonder of God's word. 
The wonder of God's word is what made the psalmist obey God's word. Because, see, the psalmist had the right perspective when it came to God's word. He had an appreciation for the word of God. And the word wonder and obedience, both of those topics are intertwined all through these verses. And the word keep, which means obey, is found three times. Once in verse 129, verse 134, and verse 136. The wonder of God's word impressed the psalmist so much that he kept it in his mind. It was always in his head and in his heart. Because he was so in love with the word of God, he kept the word of God. He kept God's testimonies for life. Paul said in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ must dwell in us. The words dwell in us means to dwell in, to inhabit. It's like to keep house. Let it find a place at home in your heart. Let it live there. Used metaphorically, it means to dwell in or with someone, to be in or with. Spoken of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Christians. In other words, it's to keep house. The Word of God is always ready and it's always available to us in everything. And it has its proper influence and its proper use. We need to be intimately acquainted with the Word of God and we need to know it for our good. Paul said it must dwell in us richly, in abundance. Not only keep house in our hearts, but keep a good house. May it be evident that we're intimately acquainted with the Word of God. May it be seen in the things that we say and the things that we do. The way we walk, the way we talk. Now, many have the word of Christ dwelling in them, but it, it dwells in them poorly. It has no mighty power in their life. There's no victory over sin. There's no strength to make it through the temptations. There's no influence on them. And then the soul prospers when the word of God dwells in us richly. When we have an abundance of it in us. And when we're full of the scriptures and the grace of Christ. So why are God's testimonies, that, he, that is his word, so wonderful? Well, the psalmist gives us several reasons why God's word is so wonderful. Look at verses 130 through 131. And the psalmist says, The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. You see, as soon as the word of God is allowed into the soul, it gives light and understanding. And when the, when the light of God's word is allowed entrance into a person's life, it fills the mind with instruction. And that instruction is so complete and it's so clear. But you see, there has to be an entrance or there won't be any illumination. Now, this is important to, to grasp. Just hearing the word of God with the ear isn't much value by itself. Just knowing the word of God 
isn't much value by itself. The Word of God has to go deeper than, than the hearing and deeper than the knowing. When the words of God enter into those secret places of the heart, then the light shines on everything. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. Blessed are those who hear the Word of God. Now, if you know the Scriptures, you know it doesn't stop there. And keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And remember, the word keep means obey. He said in John 13, 17, Jesus, if you know these things, blessed are you. Again, if you know the scriptures, it didn't stop there. If you do them. You see, the blessing from the word of God comes from the doing it. From the keeping it, from the obeying it, not from knowing it and hearing it. A lot of people hear the Word of God. A lot of people know the Word of God. But they don't do it. They don't live it. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 22 and verse 25. James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only. He says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is the Scriptures, and notice, continues in it. The word of God. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. He says this one. Speaking of the one who's not a forgetful hearer. Speaking of the one who continues in the word of God. He says this one will be blessed in what he does. Like, like I said, hearing and knowing the word of God. It's not enough. It's not in the hearing and the knowing where one gets blessed. It's in the doing. But the Word of God can't find interest in some people's minds because they set up barriers. Like conceit, pride. Or they have their own ideas. Or they're not interested in the Word of God. But the psalmist says it's the Word that gives understanding to the simple. Now the word simple here doesn't mean people who are foolish or simple-minded. It means those who are easily seduced, those who are still open to learning, who are open to instruction, who are still teachable. It's a great stage to be in, but it also can be a dangerous stage if we don't know the Word of God. The simple are the sincere and the truthful, the true disciples of the Word of God. They're the ones who are not only given knowledge, but they're given understanding as well. The simple-hearted ones are often looked down on. And their simplicity means something else to the world. And so the world ridicules them. And, you know, they mean simple-minded in a bad way. But that doesn't matter if they're ridiculed. Those that the world calls fools are really the wise ones if they're taught of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 80, uh, 98 through 99, he says, You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. For they, that is your commandments, are ever, are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. You see, you can learn through, through experience with your enemies. You can learn from those that, that are, that are you know, older and more experienced through your teachers. And you can learn through the meditation of the Word of God. Now, how did the Word of God give understanding to the simple? It gave, it gave, it gave those who read it light. Now, the word entrance here means opening. It means an opening. 
And in the early times of the Hebrew language, the Jews were Bedouins. And they lived in tents. And the only opening in, in the tent was the flap that was a door. So when the door was opened, light would come into the tent and it would light up everything. So you see, the psalmist is giving us this same picture here when he speaks about the entrance of God's Word giving light. When you read the Bible, it's like opening the door to the tent. You know, we've all heard that expression, and many of us, and I'm speaking to myself, maybe you didn't. I used to make fun of people who came to Christ and said, oh, I've seen the light. It's exactly what it's talking about. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and you allow that entrance of the Word of God into your heart, you see the light. It lights up everything. It clears up everything. The psalmist is giving us this same picture when he speaks about the entrance of God's Word giving light. When you read the Bible, it's like opening the door to the tent and like I said, it puts life on everything, uh, light on everything. It, it, it puts light on life. It puts light on all of our problems, on all of our trials. It puts light on the crazy behavior of other people. It makes sense out of the senseless. God's the only one that can do that. It puts light on what's important as well as what's not important. It puts light on right behavior, on the right goals and the right priorities in life. If you haven't found that to be true... It's because you're not truly studying or you're reading in an intellectual and unproductive frame of mind. Judging it by your own flawed views, your humanistic values, or your opinion instead of letting it judge you. God hides His Word from those who are arrogant. God hides His Word from those who... who lean on their own understanding or are wise in their own eyes, but he opens it to those who want to be taught, who want to learn. And Hebrews tells us that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, diligently. You know, if, you, if, if you're not, if the word of God is not giving you what you're hoping you're to get out, put a little sweat into it. Study it. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jeremiah said, you will see, God said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me. Notice, with all of your heart. It's putting our heart into seeking the scriptures. We see an example of the word being open and giving understanding to the couple. Remember walking on the road to Emmaus? They met up with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognize who he was at first. And they began to ask or, but he asked them, he says, hey, you guys, why are you all bummed out? And they started to tell him all about what happened to Jesus in Jerusalem during the Passover. They didn't understand Jesus' death and resurrection. But then Luke tells us he opened the scriptures. And the light came on. It says their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he opened their understanding and their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Oh, that's what the scriptures were talking about when Jesus would die and be buried for three days and rise again. You see, that's how it works. 
First, you have to open God's word. Then the eyes are open to see Jesus. And last, the mind is opened to your understanding. But without obedience to the word, there is no understanding. Because you see, the entrance or the opening of God's word gives light. And he said, I opened my mouth and I panted, he said in verse 31. I opened my mouth and panted. It means that he, he inhaled eagerly. To panted, to, uh, pan, the word panted means to inhale eagerly. Now what was he panting for? For God's word. For God's instructions. Because you see, he had such a desire for God's word that he used an example from the animal world to describe his hunger. He was filled with a passionate craving and he wasn't embarrassed to describe it the way he did. He says, man, I was like a deer that's been hunted down. He said, they're chasing me and I'm just, one I'm just keeping one step ahead of death. And he says, I'm panting for breath. That's the way the psalmist felt. Pant for God's word to find an entrance into your soul. Nothing else could make him happy. All that the world could do for him still left him with his mouth open. Verse 132. He said, look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is towards those who love your name. Here's another reason that God's word was so wonderful to the psalmist. He finds mercy in it. And I tell you what, we probably need, need mercy more than anything else. Because it's God's mercy that saves us. It's God's mercy that doesn't give us what we deserve. Or we'd all be in hell. And mercy by itself is a wonderful thing. And have you found God's mercy in his word? If you haven't, then the Bible can't really mean anything to you. It won't be wonderful to you. And when you begin to understand what God has done for you, how he's forgiven you, how he's blessed you, and how he's giving, given you something you don't deserve, then the Bible becomes wonderful to you. You need to let the Bible point you to Jesus Christ who saves sinners. And then you'll experience just how wonderful the word of God truly is. Here the psalmist asks for God's favor personally. He says in verse 132, look upon me and be merciful to me. In other words, Lord, let me see your smile. You know, let me see the light of your face. Look at me, God, and look at my concerns. Be merciful to me. Let me experience your sweet mercy. Let me receive your gifts of mercy. I mean, you can hear the psalmist's humility in his prayer here. He's not asking for God to do anything. He just wants to see a smiling face. That would be enough for him. And he's not asking based on any value of himself, on any self-worth. He's, he's, he's falling upon the mercy of God. He's asking in mercy. And he acknowledges God's favor to all of his people. He says, he says give me that mercy that, that you normally give to all of those who love your name. It's your custom to do that, God. Asking for mercy. 
He says, Lord, I'm one of those that love your name, that love you, and that love your word. And you're kind to those that do. So won't you do the same for me? Or he's describing the favor and mercy that he wanted, which God gives to those that love his name. The psalmist doesn't want any more than what everybody else gets. And he doesn't want anything less. Verses 133 and 134. Notice he says, Direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your, your precepts. Jeremiah 10, 23. He says, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man, notice, who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah says, you know, it's not in man who walks to direct. He can't direct his own steps. You see, that's why we need a shepherd to lead us and to guide us. And what the psalmist here is asking for is one of the Lord's typical mercies to his chosen. First Samuel 2 9 says, He will guard the feet of his saints. Direct my steps, God. Point me in the direction where you want me to go. Don't let me take any detours. Show me all the pitfalls on the road of life. And by God's grace, he helps us to walk every step that we take in the exact place that his word commands us to go. The psalmist's prayer here is asking God for every step that he takes to be governed by the will of God. He doesn't want to go where God didn't send him. And this is another reason why God's word is so wonderful to the psalmist here. Because his word guards, guides his life and it guards his steps. God's word tells him where to go, what to do. It gives him victory over sin and it delivers him from his enemies. But it's through obedience that the psalmist finds this guidance and this victory over sin and deliverance from his enemies. And it's because he has and he's decided to obey God's word. Here the psalmist prays that he might live a quiet and peaceable life. And that he might not be harassed and bothered by those who seem to be a, a major pain in people's lives. He said here, notice, redeem me from the oppression of man. Deliver me from the oppression of man whose power is limited. God, man's power is limited. Lord, only you can control. The psalmist said in 920, Lord, let them know they're nothing but men. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Deliver me from my enemies, Lord, so that I can serve you without fear, so that I can keep your precepts. Not just that he would obey God's word while being oppressed, but so that I can keep your word, God. So I can keep your word under more cheerful circumstances so that we, so that we can serve God even better. Psalm 135. He says, Lord, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. He says, look down on me, God, with love. Teach me all of your principles. This is another reason that the psalmist finds God's word wonderful. 
Because God is in his word. God is in the word. God makes himself known to the person. He reveals himself to the people or person that studies his word. He says, Lord, make your face shine upon your servant. This is really a kind of a short version, version of the Aaronic blessing in Numbers 6, verses 24 through 26, where it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, for the Old Testament saints, the best blessing they could ever experience was to see God. God has many ways of teaching us. He teaches us by his word. He teaches us by his providence. That is the things that he does in our life. He teaches us by chastening us. He teaches us through suffering. But his most comfortable and effective teaching is by looking upon me with love, the psalmist, and the light of his eye. Psalm 43.3, the psalmist said, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle where God lives. And the psalmist refers to himself again as God's servant. And that was something that the psalmist was proud of. And it's something that you and I should be proud of. To be called a servant of the Most High God. Or does that embarrass you? Do you keep it a secret? It was a title that the psalmist was proud of. And it was a title that was fitting for a good servant. He wants so much to be in his master's favor. Because you see, that's where he'll find happiness and that's where he'll do the most good. He's not asking for material things. He's not asking for stuff. He doesn't want silver and gold. He just wants God's face to shine on him and to accept him and let me know, Lord, that I'm your servant. Let your light shine upon me and let it comfort me on all my gloomy and dark days. And I don't care if the whole world looks down on me as long as I can see your smiling face. The psalmist is very concerned about the work of God. And the psalmist makes it his business, and it's his main concern. He says, Lord, teach me how to do your work. Help me, teach me how to do it well, so that it will be accepted by you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. And notice, we need to pray just as sincerely for grace as for comfort. If God, God hides his face from us, it's because we've been careless about obeying his word. So if we're going to meet the requirements to receive his favor, we have to pray for wisdom to do our duty. And then verse 136. He says, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law or your word. You see, godly men are affected with deep sorrow for the sins of the ungodly. 
The psalmist cried here tears of compassion along with God. When he saw God's holy word despised and broken, he cried in pity for men who were inviting the fiery anger of God down upon themselves. You see, the very word of God that, that saves us will also condemn us if we reject it. The psalmist was so hurt, so grieved that he could barely talk about it. And his tears weren't just tears of sorrow, but they were like, it was like a flood of sadness pouring out. He was like the Lord Jesus here who saw the city and wept over it like Jehovah who said, for I have no pleasure in the death of men. Or the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live, Ezekiel 18, 32. He says, I have no pleasure in the one who dies. Turn and live. Turn away from your sin and live. Receive eternal life. Verse 135 also deals with obedience, but here the psalmist is concerned about disobedience. Those who, 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 who disobey God's word. He's concerned about those who don't keep his law, who disobeys his law. It makes him cry because of this, the dishonor that it brings to God. And not only that, but the misery and the harm and the destruction and the pain and the suffering that people will go through just because they won't obey God's word. And that blows me away. And when I used to do a lot of marriage counseling, you know, a couple would be in tore up, married for 10, 15 years, ready to walk out the door, saying this is our last, our last step. And I would tell them, this is what you have to do. And I'd share the scriptures with them. And I said, this will turn your marriage around. It might turn it, not turn it around overnight, but this is what you have to do. You have to work at it. Instead of walking out, work out. But they don't want to. And I'll share the scriptures many times and say, yeah, I, I know. I know what the Bible says. Well, if you know what the Bible says and you're not doing it, I have nothing else to tell you. I cannot give you a magic pill. I can't do some kind of or give you some kind of love potion that you take we go out, by the time you get out to the car. Oh, everything is wonderful. It doesn't work that way. So they'll go back to their misery and end up divorcing rather than turn to the Word of God and find the joy of God and the marriage that they're looking for. And that's in all areas of life. And then too many times we get angry with, with those people that, will, that, that reject the word of God when we're sure, and we'll argue with them and we'll fight with them and, instead of crying for them in our hearts and praying for them. And it's really a sad thing, so much so that the, the psalmist says here, he cries rivers of tears, rivers of water. And that's because he had a caring heart. And because he had a caring heart, he had a crying eye. Just like there was with Jesus. The psalmist had prayed for comfort in God's favor in verse 135. Now he pleads that he was fit for that comfort and he needed it. 
Because he was one of those that mourned in Jerusalem, and those that mourn will be comforted. The Lord said in Isaiah 61 2, He will comfort all who mourn. He will comfort all who mourn. The psalmist's tears were godly tears that he was crying. He wasn't crying because of his own problems, even though he had a lot of them. But he was crying because God was being dishonored because men do not keep, they do not obey your law. In closing, in Luke 19, 41 through 44, as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, he began to cry. And this is what he said in the New Living Translation. He said, I wish that even today you would find the way of peace, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from you. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you. They'll crush you to the ground, notice, and your children with you. How many times? Because we will not listen to the word of God. We even destroy our children, our families, our marriages, our relationships. And Jesus said, your enemies won't leave a single stone in place because you have rejected the opportunity that God offered you. Paul said in Romans 9, 1 through 4, he says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. And that because of, was because of how much unbelief there was in Israel. It broke Paul's heart. Tears show compassion and that you care. And that's what wins other people to Jesus Christ. And it wins people, more people to Christ a lot more effectively, effectively than an aggressive argument. And definitely more effective than getting angry. Do we weep for others over the pain that we know that their unbelief and their disobedience is bringing to them? If our hearts are truly, have really, truly experienced the joys of God's word and his gracious blessings, then we should have a burden for the lost and we should want to bring them to Christ also. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word, God. We thank you that, Father, in your word, we find answers to life. We, have, we find answers to our difficulties in life, God. We find questions regarding you answered, God. We find salvation in your word, God. We find peace. We find comfort. We find instruction. We find hope. Father, your word is the answer to all of our difficulties, God. Now, it may not change our difficulties, but it will change us and help us to deal with our difficulties. And if you're here tonight, man, and you... You haven't experienced the wonder of his word. Then dig in. As David considered it a treasure. And when you think of a treasure, you usually think of, of digging for it. Digging deep until you find it. It shows putting in effort to find that treasure. 
And it's the same thing with the Word of God. The nuggets and the beauty and the wonder of God's Word don't come to the lazy. It comes to those who search diligently with all of their heart. So may that be the case tonight, God, with each one of us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.